you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbour who is near than a brother who is far away. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad, that I may answer him who reproaches me. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for an adulteress. Whoever blesses his neighbour with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. Hmm. Continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind, or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. All right, we'll move on to John 15, verse 12 to 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no, no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be. Did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Naomi. Um, Good morning. Uh, my name's Mike. It's my joy uh, to serve as one of the pastors uh, here. Hey, but uh, let's talk about friendship. This is a really important topic. And last week I was at the park uh, with my three kids and uh, my four-year-old. She sees this girl, roughly her age, and they just, they just start playing together. You know, they've got a little puppy. That kind of helps, you know, with friendship. We've got a cute baby, so maybe that helps as well. But, you know, within minutes, they're just suddenly besties. We're hanging out uh, for ages. We end up kind of going for kick-ons, coffee shop down the road. And by the end, they're kind of cut. It turns out they're going to go to school together, start school together next year, which is great. Um, She's just made a friend. Wouldn't you wish that life was that easy, that we could just meet someone in the park, connect and become friends? What? You like ice cream? Me too. Isn't that amazing? Let's be friends. Don't you wish that it was just that easy? 
And C.S. Lewis, he picks up on something of that. He says, friendship is born in that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. There's something profound, but, but childlike, when we connect with someone, maybe have a bouldering and make a friend. Don't we miss those days of school? Uh, many of us do. Um, well, no, we all didn't have great school experience. But, but many of us, we, we had that same group of friends we saw every day, had lunch with them, had that continuity. You knew who you were going to hang out with on the weekend, who you'd see in the holidays. Now we have to do this complicated thing called adulting. Who wants to do that? Friendship. It's hard. We have to, you know, when people move, new jobs, relationships, health challenges, more responsibility and less time. And right now, we are in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a pandemic called loneliness. Former British Prime Minister Theresa May famously appointed a minister for loneliness in 2018. According to a meta-analysis, over 100 studies, loneliness is worse for your health than obesity. It's as bad as you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. One study found that for middle-aged men, um, aged you know, like 50-ish or so, that they found that a better indication of life expectancy wasn't their cholesterol levels, their weight, their blood pressure. It was actually how many good friends they had. It's a silent pandemic, though. It's plaguing our society as we live more and more of our lives behind closed doors, behind screens. We don't even have to leave the house to go shopping anymore, get entertainment. Many of us could do uni and many of us can work online, work from home. In America, 10% of women and 15% of men say they do not have a single friend, not one. In Australia, 3 million adults are experiencing high degrees of loneliness. Friendship can be really hard. I asked this week on Facebook, what's it like making and maintaining friends in 2023? The results were mixed, and I got uh, many more messages uh, to my inbox. And one person, they shared recently the experience of moving to Australia, and they said they found the best way to make friends has been through church and GC, gospel community. Without it, I don't know how one just makes friends later on in life. Another person, mid, single mid-30s, he said, while singleness can be hard, more and more people my age have families, church is such a blessing for friendship. I love to, loneliness, it's, I love to say it's a, it's a problem, and the answer is church. You know, come to church and we'll fix all your loneliness problems. Fortunately, the, the giggles kind of suggest is that that's not straightforward. One single person says they felt out of place at church because everyone over 35 seems to be mostly couples and families just hang out together. And they've actually found better friendships outside of church, even from busy young families. Another person said, as a 40-year-old Christian single, people have been, uh, become definitely more insular with their family units since covid a lot of people also had babies or brought, bought houses in cheaper suburbs that takes them out of community and leaves gaps in my life that they don't even notice. And work from home doesn't help as I'm not going to the office every day, spending work and social time with colleagues. So I need my friends more, but they are available less. She is right. We need our friends. As I said, we're in week two of this series Proverbs, looking at wisdom in this artificial age. 
We're going to see in the Bible, in particular, uh, we're going to look through a few of the Proverbs, uh, that there's much to say on this incredibly important topic. We're not going to touch on everything, uh, otherwise we'll be here all day and and the rest of the week, but I hope and, and pray that we can glean some wisdom this morning. We're going to see why we need friends, how we do friendship, and friendship with Jesus. That's where we're going. All right, so firstly, why we need friends. Now, you could argue on one level we don't actually need friends. In fact, someone I spoke to this week said friends are sort of a luxury and added extra. We can have relationships that are transactional. You know, I give my time um, to my company and they give me some money. Um, I give my, my, my taxes to government, they sort of give me stuff. Uh, maybe um, I give money to companies, Coles, Woolworths, Amazon, Netflix, they give me products and services. Um, you know, we can sort of have transactional relationships. But if we scratch the surface, uh, we see that actually we really do need friends. We've, we've seen health benefits uh, from that, but the Bible says we need them to flourish. We need them to be wise. And more than just romance, more than just a sexual partner. That's quite fascinating what, what Taylor picked up, that, that friendship in some ways can even be more vulnerable uh, than even a marriage. But before we zoom into Proverbs, uh, let's just um, see that this wisdom we see in Proverbs doesn't fit in a vacuum. The, the Bible, Proverbs, uh, it isn't just kind of random pithy sayings that have no, they're just sort of abstract, right? That, that sort of make good for, you know, Twitter X or a bumper sticker. I mean, I love, I love this one that, that um, Naomi read before. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. I mean, that, that's some wisdom for church camp, right? Sharing cabins. But, you know, this wisdom, it comes as part of God's bigger story. And the heart of God's story, the heart of who He is, is relationships. God is inherently relational. Our God has existed relationally for eternity past. The Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect relationship, described as a trinity. God was relational before He made us. He didn't need us to kind of keep Him company or anything like that. He created us, though, in His image to be relational. The first problem in the garden wasn't sin, but in fact, loneliness. It is not good for man to be alone. I wonder, though, if our culture, and maybe even the church has crept in as we absorb the culture around us, we've elevated romance and sexuality, and we've lost the art of friendship. King David, who was the father of Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, um, he, he describes his friendship with Jonathan in ways that maybe even feel a little bit uncomfortable to our modern ears. He says, as soon as, this is from 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 1, uh, as soon as he'd finished speaking to Saul, the, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Sounds really intense. Think of your friends that way, that your souls are knit together. Not your girlfriend or boyfriend or your spouse, but your friends, your mates. Some modern scholars have even said that David and Jonathan's relationship is a homosexual one because it's just so foreign and kind of clunky, jarring to the way that we do friendship. I don't think that's the case, but I think uh, the, the point there that what's happening is that there's actually a deep spiritual element to friendship when we allow ourselves to get close. Sam Albury, who he's a pastor, right? He's so helpful, I think, 
on relationships, on friendship. Um, And he reminds us of what is true for Christians. He says this, that our eternal family in Christ is not the people with the same last name as us, but actually the people who are being baptized into the same name as us. The blood of Jesus is thicker than the blood of biology. Your true family, your lasting friends, are not necessarily the people that share the last name with you, but it's actually the people in this room. It's your brothers and sisters in Christ. When we look to the life of Jesus, we see also how he valued friendship. Jesus, the perfect human, had rich intimacy with his friends. And even within his kind of broader friendship circle, he had this narrower group of the twelve. The 12 apostles. And even within them, he had the three, Peter, James, and John, who he, he restricted there. Like they, they got to see things that other people didn't. They went up, went up to the mountain and saw the transfiguration. They were there uh, on the night in Gethsemane looking after he, They got to see certain things that the 12 didn't see. The apostle John was so moved by the friendship of Jesus, he described himself as the one whom Jesus loved. As we open up Proverbs, we see even more reasons why we need friends. Solomon, the son of David, writer of Proverbs, he says this in Proverbs 17, 17. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit in Proverbs. Um, but uh, seventeen seventeen says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We need friendship because we all have needs. We all do. You know, that's why that kind of secular proverb, it's true, a friend in need is a friend indeed. We live in a broken world with problems. Sometimes we create them ourselves. Sometimes they're just inflicted upon us, like sickness, circumstance, accidents. Sometimes other people cause problems for us. One story I heard uh, earlier this year in one of our gospel communities, our small groups, there was um, someone who got into a, a car accident. And uh, the, the gospel community was so quick to love on them, uh, made sure they're okay, took them to the hospital, gave them meals, prayed for them, and they were just blown away by the love and care that they received. Uh, a few weeks ago, after church, someone fainted while having lunch, and, and it was great that, um, that the people around them just loved them and helpful that someone were doctors, uh, they took care of them. But uh, the, this person was reflecting on their experience. They actually enjoyed hospital because their friends were there. They enjoyed hospital, and they couldn't imagine what it would be like without their friends. Someone even who they just met even just drove their car back for them, like a true friendship there. I love hearing these stories. I love hearing stories of people helping each other move, help each other cook, looking after each other's kids, paying for each other's church camp tickets. It's such a blessing to see friendship in action here at City on a Hill. It's evident from our culture and from Scripture that we need friendships. So how do we do it? Well, we're going to see four things. This isn't exhaustive again, uh, but firstly, friendship is built on trust. Check out Proverbs 16, 28. It says this, the dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. We need to be able to trust each other if we're going to become friends. You know, if we can't trust each other with, with information and with our conversation, um, then we're not going to be able to progress that friendship. You know, when, when someone asks, you know, how are you going? Our know, default status is going to stay surface level. It's going to say, yeah, good, yeah, busy. But to, to enter into trust, we actually need to open ourselves up. We actually need to allow 
We actually need to trust each other. We have to share how we are really going. It's a two-way street. And I do get that some of us have been burnt in the past. Some of us are more guarded because of their past experiences, even in churches. Also, I'm really sorry for that, if that is you. But maybe do you, do you, have, do you have one or two people that you can trust? Especially uh, out, even outside of your marriage, if you are married. Who are the one or two people that you can trust? I encourage you to pursue, pursue this. And the flip side of, of trust that uh, Proverbs talks about, this whispering, gossip, has the ability to destroy friendships. Church, let's not be a gossiping church. Let's not share information that was in confidence. How are you going at helping create a culture of trust? Because when we do have this trust, uh, there's this rich sweetness to friendships. That's why in Proverbs 27.9 it says that oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Secondly, friendship requires proximity. Friendship requires proximity. Here's a proverb which I think is so prophetic for our generation today. You know, written well over 2,000 years ago. It says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I think one of the reasons why friendship is so hard today is because we are transient. Uh, you know, you move from place to place, church to church, even within a city, community to community, and you accumulate all these vast but superficial relationships, uh, these acquaintances that it's hard to maintain when it's hard to maintain real friends. We have many companions. We, we may know many informa- much information about people, you know, where people are going for holidays, you know, what they're wearing, what concerts they're going to, what they're having for breakfast, but we actually don't really know many people, and very few people really know us. Now, I, I've got a confession uh, to make. Uh, this is not, not a boast at all. Like, I'm, I'm actually, like, a bit ashamed of it. Like, I've got over 2,000 Facebook friends. 2,000. Like, that's, yeah. I try and do the cull, you know, the, the birthday rule. If you kind of wouldn't wish someone a happy birthday, then what, what's the point of being friends to them? I, tr- I try and do that. But it's exhausting to do it every day. Um, like I've, I've sort of moved around a little bit and been at different churches, Christian conference. You know, you sort of get all these friends. I need to keep culling. But how many of your social media friends do you really know? How many know the real you? Check out Proverbs 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. You know, what good is it to have a best friend who lives, you know, overseas, interstate, uh, when you actually have practical needs there and now? We actually need proximity. You know, there's something about living in close proximity to each other that we can just you know, pop in to be able to be spontaneous, to be able to be there for each other. Uh, like, like just yesterday, like I texted my next door neighbor saying, you know, hey, if, if Harrison gets discharged last night, you know, maybe can you just look after the girls for 15 minutes while I pop the hospital They're five minutes away, which is great. Um, didn't need to use that, but they were happy to do that. Um, but it's harder, you know, it's hard. if someone's living half an hour away, that sort of becomes a bigger deal to just to pop in and provide a bit of practical support. And I get that not everyone has neighbours like that. It's a blessing that we do have um, them on one side at least. But C.S. Lewis, he, he says this, 
um, about friendship. He says, if I had to give one piece of advice to a young man about a place to live, I think I should say, sacrifice almost everything to live where you can be near your friends. I think there's something really profound about that. I heard one story of one of you who are considering selling your house and moving to a different suburb so that you can be closer to your friends. That's encouraging. I get it's not that straightforward, uh, tricky housing market, etc. You can't just pop up and move. But what would it look like if we really factored in friendship and community, deep, rich friendship and community, when we thought about where we are going to live? Would we consider committing to this city, the city of Brisbane, for the sake, yes, for the sake of mission, absolutely, but also for the sake of friendships? Would you decline that job in Sydney, even if though they were paying 30% more? Would you study in Brisbane, even if the college in another city was a bit more prestigious? Would you rent maybe a bit closer in to the city as opposed to buying further out? Would you have housemates, even if you sort of would prefer to live on your own, because that would just make living in that suburb a bit more affordable? We try to organize our gospel communities to be as geographic as possible so we can do this, to give each other more opportunities so that we can just pop in. You know, it's far easier if you're five, 10 minutes away as opposed to 20, 30 minutes away. It's not perfect, of course. And, and you know, people move and we can't you know, just keep changing groups all the time. Uh, this week, I, I chatted to my best mate who does live in Sydney. And there is that, that distance that we, we kind of we yearn about. But he had a rough day, and, and we've been mates for nearly 20 years. And uh, he just called me, just saying, hey, I had a bad day. He was able to, to just unload. Um, and being in different cities, like we, we, we have to work hard to maintain friendship. And I, look, uh, to be honest, like I, I can't really do that with anyone else. Like I've got capacity for sort of one good friend outside of Brisbane. And we call each other every week. We share what's really going on, the highs and the lows. And, and he was just sharing about how technology does enable this instant response, how we can actually connect and provide for each other in a real way, but it is limited. So it's not technology is all bad. It's a blessing, but it is also a curse because you've got this replacement kind of friendship, and it's also really easy to bail on things straight away. And friendship on the phone, it's not the same. Uh, There is this sweetness when uh, me and my mate Josh get to actually catch up and connect in real life. But how do we do friendship? So how do we kind of do this in such a busy world? Well, here's one practical, um, I stole it from someone else, old pastor, slightly cheesy. I might have even used it before, but uh, it rhymes, so it's memorable for me. But do what you do, plus one or two. Do what you do, plus one or two. In the busyness of life, kind of adding extra things just seems chaos and overwhelming. But are there things that you love doing uh, that you could bring others into? The things that you need to do. Uh, maybe, like I've seen some of you guys do this, you know, just doing shopping after church together. We've got Coles just there, which is great. Um, could you do that? Um, so bring in others to your life. Maybe you could, you know, sync your gym work, your, your gym workouts before work, uh, go to the same gym, you know, just next suburb or whatever, like so that you could actually do this, you know, connect that way. Sink your coffee run, walk the dog with someone that lives nearby. There's a guy, a guy at church I live near with, we would try and run a couple of times a week. It's slightly less convenient for me because I'd sort of prefer to run this way at this time, but we, just, we make it work uh, because we, we value community over convenience. Thirdly, true friends stab each other in the front. 
True friends stab each other in the front. Now, hear me out on that. I take it that no one likes being stabbed in the back. Um, you know, we gossip, we slander. People go over your head. Um, people say mean things about us. We're not even there to defend ourselves. Like, that really sucked. And, and the Bible calls that out. Proverbs says that separates close friends. But think about the front. Um, we love to quote the proverb, iron sharpens iron. Like, well, that's quite famous, even sort of made its way to secular culture. But how does it work? Well, it works by refining each other, by being able to speak the truth in love, having those hard conversations. Now, Proverbs is sort of a little bit like chaotically ordered. That, that section that Naomi read for us, it's not all talking about friendship, but, but just a few verses before the iron sharpens iron is this, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse, which just means many, are the kisses of an enemy. Now, if all your friends are just yes men, right? If all your friends are just yes men, yes women, they're all just backing you all the time, saying, hey, you're amazing, things are never your fault, it's always the other people, they're toxic, it's them, it's them, it's them. If they're never asking hard questions, they're never calling you out, they're never confronting you, maybe, just maybe they're not true friends. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. We can trust hard words when people sincerely love us. I had an old pastor um, when I was in you know, early 20s, and um, he used to say to me, Mike, I love you, but you're an idiot. And that was like, looking back, oh man, you know, no one likes being called an idiot, but, but I could tell that like, he really did love me. He loved me. And yet he was able to call me out on just dumb stuff, dumb ways of thinking that I had. It's a picture of wounds from a friend. Not holding back. Um, do you have friends that you can have that hard conversation with? that will call you out, that say, hey, actually, I love you, but I think, I think you're in the wrong here. Uh, like, I'm not sure if you should be you know, pursuing this person. Hey, this job, like, yeah, maybe you're getting more money, but you're, just, you're, not, you're being a bad husband. You're, you're never around at church. Uh, you're just so tired. You're just not able to flourish as God has intended. I actually don't think you should take that job elsewhere, like leaving community. You actually need community right now. My wife, Sierra, she, she's excellent at this, not here today, but, but she's like a goalie, you know, goalkeeper. Like nothing gets past her. She rebukes me out of love and, and she even like says to me, hey, Mike, like I need you to rebuke me more. Like I need you to actually, you know, stab me in the front more. <laughs> it's not as easy for me. Uh, it's easier for, for some of us. You know, these, um, these things, they, these relationships, right, they, friendships, uh, they, they can't just happen overnight, right? Like the go-home application isn't, all right, Call out to the person next to you seeing after church today. No, that's not what we're going to do, right? Like these things, they take trust, they take proximity, they take time, they take a culture of love. But we need to lean in towards each other, draw near to each other. And yes, absolutely. See, Jesus says, take the plank out of our own eye, do it with humility. But as we step on each other's toes, it will hurt sometimes as we speak the truth in love. It's painful, but it's worth it. Now, fourthly, I want to talk about something, slight tangent, but given um, sort of the messages that came today, given our church context, I think it's really important we talk about this, friendship, families, and singles. 
friendship, families, and singles. I think one of the, the strengths of our church, you know, morning, we've got diversity, right? We've got old and young, we've got married, single, which is great. But just because we've got all these people in the room together or even in the foyer together does not mean we're having intergenerational friendship. It doesn't mean we're actually mingling and connecting. I know we are, but it doesn't mean we always are. Um, I think one of the strengths, um, we, we, do, we do a pretty good job of, of friendship of singles under 30, under 35, maybe. Uh, but as you get older, it gets hard, it gets challenging. I confess that as a married guy, I've got three kids, friendship with, with singles, it's not always that natural. Um, you know, t- you tend to revolve, I tend to revolve my spare time around you know, kid-orientated activities, going to parks, playgrounds, things like that. Um, you know, this busyness that sort of young family life has. There are a bunch of guys that I love catching up with, a bunch of single guys, and that's great. Um, but I was reflecting, um, just a couple months ago, I was reflecting with Sarah, hey, we just haven't had, like, people we've had her over. Like, mostly it's been couples and families. Like, we just haven't had single people over for, for ages. And one time we just said, oh, we're going to invite a bunch of single people. And that was, that was good. We had a good time. And then we sort of haven't done anything since. And, yeah, I could blame baby. And, like, you know, right now we're not going to have, you're not going to have around until lunch today. But, um, yeah, there's busyness, uh, which, which you can blame. But, but things easily can become excuses. Um, but, but, but we're reflecting that naturally we just sort of connect with people that are like us. I'm speaking to the marriage, the families, uh, the, including couples without kids uh, today. Um, here's some wisdom from uh, an older pastor uh, who wrote a great book called True Friendship. And he says this, that healthy Christian marriages do not have an exclusively inward focus, but are fueled by looking up to Christ and strengthen by looking out to others, both to give and to receive. Both to give and to receive. It's not as though, oh, wow, you've got all together. You need to bless all these poor... No, no, single people. No, no, no. Actually, they've got a lot to give to you. You need to receive. We need to receive that as well. That's the body of Christ. We're all made beautifully with different parts uh, and, and, and functions. Some of you, couples, you're too inwardly focused. You need to look up to God and out to others. And not just other couples and families. That's the easy thing. Also, as well, Taylor sort of, you know, her friendship with Elena, like it's a beautiful picture. Like we need to have friends, um, marriage. We need to have friends of someone outside of your marriage. Like you can't just dump all your relational eggs in that one basket. You're having a hard time with, with your wife, your husband. Who are you going to talk to about? You need someone to talk to. You need someone in your corner that gets you, that loves you that will pray for you, that will speak words that are like sweet, um, sweet honey to you, or even call you out as well. But um, there was a single person from our church, and they were reflecting that, um, yeah, they get invited around to non-Christian homes more than at church. Um, and that was, that was confronting to read. That was heartbreaking. When was the last time you had single people, single person around it doesn't even have to be the home. It could even just be a cafe after church, the park. You know, doing what you're doing, plus one or two. After church, do you only chat to other families in the foyer? All right, now the singles, right? It's not all, you know, the family's responsibility. You have responsibility and opportunity. I remember hearing a sermon uh, over a decade ago on singleness, and this one line, it just stuck with me. By a single guy, I hear this piece of wisdom, singles, invite yourself over. To families' homes. There you go. Singles, invite yourself over. You have the opportunity, um, maybe even responsibility to initiate things sometimes. 
You're in the foyer afterwards, like it's madness. Like, um, you know, there's popcorn everywhere. Kids are running around, knocking over the bollards. Like, it's, it's really hard. Not just my kids. It's really hard to, um, to, to sort of have the headspace sometimes. You know, it's not that we don't want to kind of connect. It's just hard to sort of do that. So it's easier to kind of clump together and, you know, divide and conquer uh, with other families. Encourage you. Initiate conversations. Say, hey, can I help? Like, can I just watch your kids? Like, uh, that is already happening, right? I'm not... Not just throwing rocks, like there's a lot of this stuff happening already. Like I love seeing, I mean, often Harrison, he's, he's been, been picked up by one of you guys. Like it's great. Like I love what is already happening. Um, invite yourself over. And don't just do it to, you know, to me or to, to Zach, Hannah. Do it to someone else. We've got loads of families uh, that, I'd love, that they would love to. They'd love to invite you into their, spa- like, into their space. Like embrace, as long as you're up for sort of embracing a bit of chaos, um, Let's make it happen. See what God might do from it. They'll make it happen if you initiate. Now, to the older among us, to those who have sort of moved beyond that young family stage. I mean, looking around the room, we are, we are a young church. We need you. We are blessed and we are thankful for you. We need your friendship. So keep going. Cross these cultural boundaries, and reach out to someone half your age. We need your wisdom. We need your encouragement. Sorry, and you need our encouragement from the next generation as well. A little challenge today. Maybe after, you know, after we finish the formal part of our service, why don't you chat to someone you know, a decade older or a decade younger or more? Why don't you try that? Don't just kind of gravitate towards the people that are more comfortable. Why don't you step outside and, and connect with someone that looks a little bit different. Now let's talk about church camp. That's coming up next week. Can't avoid this. It's such, such great timing. But just because we have church camp, I mean, Zach said six months of community in, in one weekend. That's not a guarantee. That's not a promise. It's not going to automatically happen. Like how Don Carson uh, said that quote we looked at in the last series, we don't, we don't drift towards holiness, but likewise, we don't drift towards deep friendship, especially of people that are different to us. So on church camp, how can you be a good friend? How can you be looking out for others? We've got people that are registered for church camp that have been to church like once. Like, praise God, let's be welcoming, let's be loving, let's be rocking up to camp, as Zach said, to give. Tim Keller says uh, that the best way to make good friends is to try to be a good friend to others. Let's keep going. We've seen the why of friendship. We've seen from Proverbs some of the wisdom about the how. But here's the most important one, friendship with Jesus. You know, this picture of the ideal friend that that Proverbs paints, it's not something that we're ever going to be able to live up to. We aren't going to find that perfect friend or that perfect friendship group that's just going to fulfill all of this for us. Our friends are going to let us down. We will let our friends down except for one friend. Turn with me, if you've got a Bible, to John chapter 15. Here we see a picture of a friend, Jesus, who is trustworthy, who has drawn proximate, has drawn near to you, who does speak the truth in love. He's prepared to stab us in the front. And through his singleness, he's welcomed us into his family. In John chapter 15, Jesus, he's speaking to his disciples before he's about to be killed. He says this in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love 
one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What's this picture that Jesus is painting of friendship? It's laying down your life for your friends. Now, Jesus isn't just you know, talking the talk. He literally went there that very next day. He did that. Not just talking a big game, but he laid down his life. And not even just for his friends. Jesus died for us when we were his enemies. Proverbs 17.9 says that whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Jesus has covered our offense. He's paid for our sin, our guilt, our shame. He's done that by dying on the cross for us. Are you friends with Jesus this morning? Is he your friend? You become a friend by receiving that gift that he has offered you, his life. Keep reading. In verse 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Even though he's Lord, he's the king of the universe, he's offered us a seat at his table, welcomed us into his home. Jesus doesn't just give us random commands to kind of follow. He reveals us the heart of God, his plans and purposes. And he says that never will I leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus calls us friends. Let that sink in for us a little bit. I'll give you a a poor analogy to help you uh, feel that a little bit. Imagine, right, you're walking down the street. You're walking down Queen Street or something, South Bank, and you see Hugh Jackman. Um, and um, yeah, you might try and get a selfie with him. Uh, and you, but you might be like, what, are, what if I said, oh, hey, that's my friend Hugh Jackman. You know, I mean, Hugh Jackman. You'd be like, Mike, what are you talking about, right? He's not your friend. You might be saying that. But imagine if Hugh Jackman saw you walking down the street and said, wow, hey, there's my friend. Hugh says, hey, there's Mike Jontek. Like, that, that's a different conversation, right? If Hugh Jackman says, wow, you're my friend. Hugh Jackman's pretty cool, right? Wolverine, you know, boy from Oz, all that stuff, like, great export, triple threat, all that stuff. But, but, Hugh, but Jesus, Jesus, the Lord King Jesus, how cool is he? He is the creator, the sustainer, the king of the universe, and he calls you. Matthew, you, Simon, you, Ruthie, friend. He calls you friend. What does it mean to be friends with him? What is it meant to look like? Verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. What's he saying there? Is that like the, remember the, the kind of friendship bribery game we played as kids? You know, can I have $2? I'll be your best friend. You guys played that? My daughters have like picked, I don't know where, they're not, I don't know, they've picked that up. Like, you know, my girls will be having this fight and then, um, you know, they say, oh, you know, can I, have, can I have this toy? I'll be your best friend. And then Lily will say, you know, I'm, you're not my best friend anymore. <laughs> is that what it's about? You know, this friendship is, is kind of conditional. No, with, friendship with Jesus, it's not on our terms, right? Like, we don't get to decide what it looks like. Friendship about many things, but a big part of it is about obedience to Jesus. We need to listen to Him. We need to see Him rightly as Lord and Savior. 
Yes, he's our friend, but he's the king of the universe. We don't get to squeeze him into a box and let him just fill whatever needs that we feel like we have. No, no. Jesus is Lord. He's everything. We don't have to do all these things to maintain this relationship status, but this is what it looks like to live out as friends of Jesus. As I invite the band up, let's consider what kind of friend Jesus was to us. He welcomed outsiders, people the lowly of society, tax collectors, prostitutes, people of different cultures, people with disabilities. He ate with them. He spoke with them in public, which was a huge deal back in first century Middle Eastern culture. Healed them. He even called a tax collector, Matthew, Levi, he called him into his close circle of 12. Now, was all this reciprocated? Did Jesus do this so that you know, he could get stuff out of friendship? No. His disciples, they deserted him. They fell asleep when he asked them to watch over him in Gethsemane. Peter, you know, in that inner ring, he denied him three times. I don't know the bloke. And Judas stabbed him in the back. Despite all of that, the night before, he, he washed their feet. He served them and he laid down his life for them. And he's done that for you. Jesus, he's the perfect friend for you. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. We do thank you that He has offered his life for us so that we can be friends with you. Lord, many of us in this room, we're feeling lonely. We're feeling isolated. Maybe we're even feeling guilty. Lord, I do pray that for all of us, we would look to Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, as our example, as our encourager. Lord, I do pray that over time, uh, we can continue to grow our culture of friendship at City on a Hill. Lord, I do pray that we can look to Jesus and be self-sacrificial, self-giving, as you have done that for us. And above all, I pray that you'd be glorified through our relationships here on earth and until you call us home. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, Or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.